Makers of Sport Podcast, Episode 17, with Matt Walker. to episode 17 of the Makers of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. Today, Matt Walker is joining the show. Matt is a digital designer and creative director from Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, For the past eight years, Matt was a digital art director at ESPN, where he worked in the fantasy sports division. Also, while at ESPN, Matt's guidance was key to the fantasy line's effective integration of social media and gamification, as well as broadening its reach on mobile platforms. He has worked with some of the biggest names in sports uh, at ESPN and also as a freelancer. And in 2013, him and his team at ESPN won a Webby for their fantasy football iPad app. Uh, Welcome to the show, Matt. I'm glad to have you on here. We've kind of known each other on Twitter for a while, so it's good to catch up vocally. Oh, thanks for having me, Adam. Uh, yeah, this is a great show. I, I love the platform. I love that you're giving exposure to something that I really, really care a lot about. And yeah, I'm just, I'm very, very happy you asked me to do this. Cool, man. So I, I gave a bit of a brief introduction uh, to your career. However, I'd love to give our listeners who may not know you a little bit more in-depth background. Can you tell uh, us a little bit about your story and uh, a little bit about yourself and sort of where leading to where you got, where you are today? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm originally from New York. Uh, I grew up about an hour outside of New York City. My father was a cop. My mom was a homemaker and uh, kind of led a very kind of suburban life, played football in high school and, um, you know, just kind of jockey kind of regular things. But I was always into art and I always loved drawing and I always loved drawing logos and Don Mattingly and, you know, all the for some of my age, all the 80s things that, you know, Twisted Sister logos and rat logos and things like that. And um, and art kind of became the thing that I focused the most on. And, you know, I wasn't the best student in the world, but I I was a pretty good artist. And when it came time to go to college, um, it seemed like art was the best option for me. And the only thing I really kind of put any real focus into. So I went to school at FIT in Manhattan, uh, which is, uh, it's the fashion Institute technology, which, you know, I always get a chuckle from people when they say that, but, uh, it's actually an outstanding art and design school. And I was an illustration major there. Um, and I did that for a few years. A friend of mine convinced me to um, change over to ad design. And it was, you know, right around then was when my roommate got a Mac and I was playing with Illustrator and Photoshop on my own. And I just I just became hooked. That was probably like the mid 90s. And uh, I just loved it. The idea of trying to design logos and football things. And I played semi-pro at the time. So I'd always try to redo our uniforms and our logos and illustrator, just making, using boxes and circles and, you know, really crude looking things. And I, and I loved it and it went real well. And, um, after school, I was lucky enough to get on at this agency. It was a small shop up by me and up in Westchester. And, um, I did a lot of work uh, called Yo Studio. I did a lot of work for um, logos and Cartoon Network and MTV and, and uh, Goosebumps and you name it. A lot of really fun things. And I got to design NASCARs and I did a logo for Zamboni. And it was like the funnest place in the world. Uh, it's just, you know, it didn't pay very well. And, you know, you can only stay there so long just because of sort of the way, you know, the way the pay was and the way things were. But I probably learned more in that span than than probably some most of the jobs I've had ever since. It was just just an awesome, awesome start. And from there, I, I went in and I got a job in the city doing packaging design and stuff for cereal, like Post cereals and Kellogg's and Jell-O and all these things. And a friend of mine asked me to start an internet company with him. And this was like 98 where the internet was really new. And um, I just, I you know, my dad said, you know, I was still like, I think I was like 24. And my dad said, hey, why not? You know, what do you have to lose? This is 
you know, it's supposed to be the future. Why don't you give it a shot? So we started an e-commerce company in 98 and um, learned everything about selling online and all these things that were just brand new in the industry. And everyone was just figuring it out. I did that for about a year and a half and, and, and it wasn't really taking off. The business model wasn't really turning out to be what we had intended. So I decided to go into the city, into New York and, um, and focus on working at, you know, web shops and doing websites and e-commerce sites for companies like Coach and Godiva and um, uh, Waterford Crystal and a lot of these premium brands. And um, I was able to kind of learn um, the basis of, of retail and shopping through the internet at a time where no one had ever learned it before. So it was all new. And I, I really felt like I was learning things uh, before they were really becoming mainstream, which to me was always great to be able to kind of stay ahead of the curve. And then, um, I lucked out, um, from doing that, I kind of learned the basis of, of my interactive design that would come in handy years later, uh, when, you know, things like social media started and then mobile, even email marketing, all that kind of came from that original training I had in e-commerce. And, um, so from there I worked at this other women's retail company and then, I got lucky and, and I got a job as uh, ESPN fantasy sports designer. Um, I was pretty much the only one there for about eight and a half years. I had a, I had a team with me for a few of those years, but for the most part, I was leading all the initiatives, the logos, the, the UI, the UX, the mobile apps. I mean, everything. Um, it was really exciting. And, uh, I did that for about eight and a half years. And, you know, as we said before, now I'm, uh, I've moved on to a new job and, uh, I'm looking forward to even new challenges starting at a startup company that, uh, is really exciting. And, uh, um, that, I guess that's kind of where I am. I hope I didn't ramble too much, but I try to give you as much info as I could in that, in that time period. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good, man. You actually answered all my questions. We could probably uh, shut it down now. No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, no, but, uh, but so back in, in 98, uh, you know, you talked about, uh, sort of jumping into the whole internet world and really kind of making a transition. Did, did you kind of dive in, you know, head first and, and start cause design has changed a lot in the interactive world from then until now. And so I'm just curious, did you sort of dive in? And then from that point forward, like you were just full blown, like interactive design uh, from then on out and never kind of really circled back around to doing print stuff or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it really did. I mean, you know, especially back then it was weird, you know, print people were very protective of print. And whenever you would meet an interactive person, it was, it was weird. It was like going, I don't want to say to the dark side, but it was like, once you cross that line, it was like, I've never met anyone who went over and came back to print. Um, I, you know, first of all, jumping into it, there was so much to learn at a time where, you know, don't forget, I mean, I'm aging myself here, but there wasn't a Google, there wasn't a YouTube. I mean, heck now you could YouTube anything and figure out how to do it back then. Not only was there nowhere to find this information, there was no one who had this information. So, you know, me jumping into a web world where most of the world was still on phone modems, um, I, I, it was it was a little scary at times, but I really loved it. Um, you know, in hindsight, I was really terrible at it because I didn't know anything about, you know, page sizes and things like that. So being a, a print guy and an illustrator kind of guy, I was just making these gaudy, loud, awful, uh, over the top designs that probably, you know, were the last thing you would want to do for a website. But I didn't even figure that out for years. And until I met some people that had really knew what they were doing and they're just, they're like, look, you can't just, you know, you, you can't just draw all over the place. You know, your page takes like 10 minutes to load. And <laughs> so, you know, you just got to find these things out the hard way. You get a little embarrassed and you move on, you know, but the good thing was most people didn't know that they didn't, they knew something was off when the site wasn't loading, but I just told them it was the server. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You could get around it by sort of making up those things. Well, yeah. it's, it's interesting though. Like, uh, I think when a lot of people learn design, especially like, you know, you learn, this is the web has kind of made this transition and and i think uh really all design sort of made this transition but when you know let's say you learn the software right and you're like you're fascinated with these things like oh drop shadows and bevels and whatever so you're like what happens is you're like just because you can do it 
you start doing that stuff, yeah. right? And yeah. it's like, oh, we can make this thing like real gaudy and whatever. Like that's, yeah. it's cool that we can actually achieve that. But then yeah. I think what happens is as you get older and progress in your career and get better as a designer and start to understand design, you start to realize that uh, just because those things are available to you, they are not the best option. <laughs> just because papyrus is on your computer doesn't mean doesn't mean it's okay. You know, you have to be, yeah. you have to be a yeah. bit selective. Um, yeah. Actually, that's very true. And for the longest time, and even now, like if you kind of see maybe a small town company website, uh, you know, you could pick up on who's using a lot of drop shadows and who's right. who's embossing everything and using those glossy you know, textures on everything. And you're right. It, it takes, um, it takes some, first of all, you kind of got to get it out of your system and then, but it does, it takes, it takes some using it. And then you kind of look back and say, what was I thinking? You know, and right. it, because we all do it, you know, you, you learn how to new, use a new technique and you just use it to death. I mean, I've done things even now where, I look back and I say, God, how many times was I going to use that font? I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. you just, you get stuck in these little, these little grooves and, and it, it seems right. great. And then one day you step back and you just, you realize like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta cool the jets on this one because I'm probably re overusing that way too much. So I think yeah. that's just sort of a common thing. I, yeah. And I, I do that now too. Like I sort of move into like these little periods of, of, of the year or whatever, or like of my career where like a certain font speaks to me. So like right now for me, it's like Proxima Nova. Like everything that I do right now is especially on the web, uh, makers of sport.com is in Proxima Nova. And, uh, the, the site that I did 3d lacrosse, uh, is in Proxima Nova. Yeah. Um, and I'm it's just, very it's, Roboto right now. Same thing, you know, I'm just, yeah. I'm Roboto, Roboto, Roboto. And then, you know, and a month from now, I'm going to just pull my hair out and say, what was I thinking? Why am I using that for everything? Right. Um, but, but what, you know, what Massimo Vignelli, uh, Massimo Vignelli, you know, RIP, he, he sort of had this mentality that you only needed three fonts, three typefaces, period. Like as a designer. And it, uh, he was like the Helvetica guy. Like everything he did was like oh, a Helvetica. Helvetica. Uh, <laughs> you know, there was an old joke with, between a friend of mine in college, you know, one day a professor came in and he, and he blew a gasket, you know, he goes, oh, I don't know what's going on. You know, they had this, uh, they had this like show and it was just about Helvetica. And he's like, this whole school, it's Helvetica crazy. And he went on this like 20 minute tirade. <laughs> so to this day, actually I used that joke last week on his page is, uh, you know, some people just love Helvetica, but it seems like either you love it or you don't. To me, I yeah, just, yeah. you know, seeing it, it's, you know, it's a base font for web. If you use it all the time, I feel like, you, you know, you either love it or you hate it. And I'm at a point where I'm like, Helvetica, please, there's got to be something else. You know, yeah, like, you start to associate it with. Yeah. Yeah. You start to associate it with things like, uh, it's sort of like a, a metaphor is sort of like, uh, my wife worked at a, at a preschool before we had our kids. And so when we were trying to come up with kids names, it was like, what about this name? And it's like, no, that kid's, I got a kid that with that name in my class and he's sort of like a bad kid, you know? And it's yeah, like, it's yeah. the same way with fonts. It's like, you remember All seeing something and you just visually yeah. associate it. It's like, actually that just reminds me of that. So oh, that's and funny. Helvetica reminds me of Massimo Vignelli. So oh, that's funny. Let, let's sort of jump into, uh, jump into the sports side. Uh, how did the whole, how did, so fantasy football, well, fantasy sports and you worked in just fantasy sports to overall, right? Not just football. Yeah, no, just fantasy period. Yeah. So back in uh, 2005, which is when you went to ESPN, how did that sort of happen? Like, I know that you talked about drawing sports logos and things like when you were younger. And did you did you realize that there was an opportunity to have a career, you know, designing for sport at that point? You know, it was always a dream of mine to do something with sports. But I just you know, it was so hard to find you know, any inroads and, and especially before the web, it was just, it was just something that, you know, there just wasn't places to do it. Like now it seems common with the internet that you could try to get a job with this team or that team. But, you know, even back then it just seemed like just a hard, hard thing to pull off. So when I, whenever I would have side projects, you know, I would always try to do sports things because that was like my hobby. That's what I loved. So, you know, if somebody had a sports team or actually a big thing for a long time was I was getting fans, pro sport team fa fan sites, you know, like for the Jets or I even had you know, the Mets and uh, the bills. And so I would do logos for these like fan sites and things like that. Cause I just wanted to be within that sort of sports world. 
But what really kind of made me realize it was something I really wanted to do was uh, when I was, you know, I had just moved to Connecticut and I was about to be married. And there was this article in How Magazine in probably like 2003-ish, that kind of time period. And it was about, you know, famous sports logo designers. And I just you know, I never knew anything about this world. So this was the first time I ever saw anything that really kind of described the business. And it was about Joe Bozak, I think, um, I want to say Studio Simon, maybe Todd Radom and few, a couple other people. And they well, just I think I saw that Eric Rickaball, I think was in that too, yes. right? Rickaball graphics. I yeah. think so. And that article really kind of changed my life because to me, it kind of put a face on something that I always wanted to do. So I read the article and I was just, I loved reading it. But then after I read it, what I decided to do, because, you know, the internet was there, even though, you know, we didn't have sites to go to find logos at that point. What I started to do is look up these guys and they had rudimentary sites, some of them, or their stuff was somewhere. I would try to basically mimic the styles that they did. So like the California angels logo, uh, which I think was out at the time, that was something where, you know, there was like color inside of the A and, and then I started to kind of formulate, well, how did they do this? Well, I think they did it this way. And I started to kind of mimic all of the things that I thought to figure out how they would do it. And some of the things I probably learned how they did. And some of the things I figured out, on my own that was similar. And then that kind of became my style. But like a lot of the things from that article you see in my work to this day, because it translates over to mobile, it translates over to everything, which is, you know, when you make a logo, it's got to work at all sizes. And that's one of the great things that I learned in that is I think they talk about that when it comes to, you know, being in a box score and things like that. And again, I might be not referencing this article well at all because it's been a long time. But the whole point of it was, yes, it's got to scale. Things have to work at small sizes. So you'll see a lot of my thick strokes and a lot of the heavy handedness I have is because everything is vector first. I want to work on all sizes. I want it to be, um, you know, I want it to be able to pick it up and it works just as good as on a billboard as it would, you know, on a tiny little stamp. And that kind of set me off on that path. And then from there, I started to, you know, I always kind of drew because I was an illustration major. But once I started getting into web design, sadly, and even to this day, I just don't draw like I used to. And I really should. And that's the thing that to this day kills me. I don't put enough time into drawing. But um, the actual trying to draw, uh, uh, you know, shapes, objects, animals, characters, I started working on that. And, you know, nowadays that doesn't sound like a big deal. But back then, you know, considering the path I was going down, it was purely a hobby. There wasn't a lot of work to do other than these sort of sports sites and things like that. But little by little, I was doing logos. And like I said, I my first job was at this uh, company where then the first day I did a logo for Zamboni uh, and and I just did it and and they accepted it and it won all these awards. So I kind of got this reputation of being a, the logo guy in the company just because, hey, he did a logo, it sold. So now he's the logo guy. So little by little, I was always working on logos. But once I saw this article, I started to correlate the hows and the whys more of you know, why am I making this, this size? Why am I doing this? What, you know, how is this going to, you know, is there a secondary logo? Is there a third logo? Like how does this translate over? And that kind of, even though it was based on logos, that actually kind of everything I did, whether it was web pages or things and later on became responsive design and mobile design and all things It kind of came in from that sort of Genesis of that article. And, um, and then a couple of years later, I, like I said, I had some reputation of doing things for, you know, local sports teams. I, I, he was going back and forth with the University of Hartford. I was doing logo work there, showing it to them. They liked it at the last minute. You know, they decided not to go with it for internal reasons or whatever. But I was getting closer and closer to, you know, to doing something in sports. And then one day uh, I got an opportunity to design a website for Albert Pujols. And, um, you know, it was, you know, not a great deal. Uh, I think I did it for free and they're like, Oh, it's for the exposure and this, that, the other thing. So I did this entire site <laughs> yeah, the for typical. them. Oh, typical. And, but at the time I didn't even care. I would have done it for free. I was so proud yeah. to be working with, you know, a professional athlete, no longer doing fan sites for free. No, you know, no longer kind of nickel and diming for these little logos for like 50 bucks or whatever. I was going to do it 
and it's going to be seen and it was going to be on something that I really, really enjoyed. So I made this site. It looked great, you know, and I was just so proud of it. And then that led to another site, which my cousin saw that and he worked at Major League Baseball and he was friends with Barry Zito at the time. So he connected me with uh, their people. And I did a website for uh, this charity they had called Strikeouts for Troops. And when I did that site, that really was my foot in the door because um, the Pujols thing didn't stay up long. They they ended up, you know, pulling it and going with someone else because they got a free site with a shopping cart, which I couldn't give them. But the, the Zeno people were really impressed and they really liked it. So I went from making just that site to making his personal site. And then um, his personal PR person, who's still a really good friend of mine to this day, uh, Kathy Jacobson, she really loved it so much that then she had me work on some of her other clients. So then I did, you know, Nick Swisher, or Orlando Hudson, uh, CC Sabathia. And I just started doing all these sites and they would start, they were really boring sites for the most part. I mean, it was really like a four or five page site, a couple of photos, you know, every one of them got a logo with the site. Um, and, but it was fun to work on these things. And I started kind of getting a name within baseball. And I think I, uh, uh, Zimmerman from the nationals. And I, all of a sudden I started getting clients that weren't part of the connection to the, you know, to this one sports, uh, person. I was actually getting them people coming and asking me for work. And it kind of started to balloon that way. So I was able to keep doing the logos I love by using kind of my website abilities to just keep it going. Um, and you know, it was a lot of fun. And then all of a sudden, you know, I had an opportunity where I saw there was an opening ESPN and I think that's what got me in at ESPN was, you know, seeing all the sports stuff, seeing all the athletes that even at that point I was still actively kind of working with. And I think that's what got me in there is that they saw that at that time, fantasy was just about getting all like there was like 35 mini games and, you know, I don't know how many league games. And then there's all these different logos. I think the idea of me being able to brand all these logos and for all of the games was really more important to them than than UI or UX or anything at that point. So I think that's what got my foot in the door. And then once when I got in there and I started working with the team, I think there they started to realize that, you know, having been in e-commerce and things like that, that my interactive chops were good enough to kind of keep going down and working with them on the hows and the whys of the game. Oh, very cool. So uh, were you the first designer? I know you said you you were like this single employee for many years. Were you the first designer in that department? Um, fantasy side? I, was the, I was the first, I believe I was the first a hundred percent committed designer. Um, okay. I, they they might've had someone a year or two before, but and, and I could be totally wrong here. So if anyone calls me out on it, I, it's by accident. For the most part, I believe the fantasy design work was something that was just sort of uh, handed out throughout the department where, hey, Joe's up, let, give him this and this one's up, give him that. Um, so at that point, everything looked all over the place because it was just different people doing different games and different things. So I think I was the first one um, to be there. I was certainly the only one to be there with, for any length of time. And, um, so yeah, and it was kind of challenging because they weren't used to having a full-time design resource. I worked in the design department, but I'd never actually spent any time there. I was always with the fantasy team. So it was kind of this weird sort of dotted line thing where I was in design, but I only worked with fantasy. And, uh, so I, you know, I'd have to check in with this guy, but then work with that guy. And, uh, but it ultimately ended up working. I think you know, a lot of great stuff came out of it. And eventually I think we ended up having a really great relationship with the people in there. You know, the last few years, they were really great. And I think that, um, you know, there were some really good folks like this guy, Jamie Carlson and Jason Warham, who headed the group for so many years. I think we got to a point where we were really rocking and rolling and really like starting to dive into some really good stuff. So, um, yeah, I was I was pretty fortunate with that. It, it kind of took advantage of all my my little uh, things that I like to do with the interactive and then eventually mobile and logos and branding. I think it was kind of a nice little niche for me for for a long time. So did you sort of help develop like the processes and stuff? You know, we see sort of the traditional interactive methods of like wireframes and that type of thing and moving into visual design. Is that uh, did you do a lot of that stuff there and sort of kind of spearhead those initiatives? Well, the, the way it started was when I first got there, um, we didn't really have true wireframes. Um, a lot of it was sort of photoshopping over what was there before, stuff like that. 
they weren't really sure how to design from scratch and then put it into the system right away. So we didn't have the processes that I had been used to working in the agency side in New York, where we had information architects and we had all this, um, you know, we had all these meetings to kind of figure out what we were doing beforehand. You know, we were kind of a really we were really a bare bones group. So we didn't have as much time as anyone would have liked probably to wireframe things out. We had a lot of people kind of pitching in and giving ideas and, you know, maybe screenshotting some other games and things like that. The wireframing and all that came much later. Um, I think over time, like one of the things that took a long time to get, we finally got was a project manager and we got things like that, you know, surprisingly for a company the size of ESPN, Fantasy was like a small, it was almost like a small um, business inside of a much larger company. So we kind of all had to wear a lot of hats and we didn't really have the luxury of having, you know, the time to wireframe and then go to work and then do this. We kind of were just getting as much done as we could as quick as we could. Right. That sounds like uh, pretty typical for yeah. just the sports <laughs> industry in general. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's funny. You describe it. You feel embarrassed when you describe you didn't have these, you know, wireframes and you didn't do these things. But the more you talk to people, the more it seems more common than than you probably realize. Yeah. There's like a perfect world of, of yeah. a process <laughs> that sort of all these people write about on like medium and whatever. Yeah. And then there's like what really happens <laughs> well, you know, a lot of times. It, you and I were talking about that off, off the air before this started is, you know, I go to these, I used to go to these conferences and these guys would get up and they'd have all these like, you know, statements like never start a project. If you don't have all the copy, never do this, never use Laura Mipsum, never, do, you know, every day somebody comes out with some statement and everyone goes, Oh, he's so right. And they're so smart and blah, blah, blah. And when I finally had a chance to get up and talk, I basically said, okay, you know how those people say you can't start something unless you have this area thing? Well, I'm here to talk to the people that know that if you actually question and don't start a project that you're probably going to get fired. So how do you work around that? And everybody started right. laughing because that's really, you know, no, how many people have the luxury of, of turning down projects or saying, sorry, I don't start until I get everything I need. I mean, it's just not, it's just not really realistic to most of us. I think that are in the trenches and staying up till three o'clock in the morning, getting work done where we're not in any position to be turning down, you know, deadlines because we don't have everything we want. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And I think there's that whole design. There is no design without content, blah, 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 you know, sort of thing that uh, argument that goes around in the sort of interactive world. You know, for me, it's like as long as you define what type of content it is, like that's the important thing. Like, you know, yeah. what? you don't have the actual seven paragraphs that somebody's going to write here. But, you know, I do know that a paragraph is going to go here. You know, like that's <laughs> that's what's more important. It's not you know, I don't need your actual you know, written content for that area. I just know that this particular area, you know, this, this area is going to be a calendar, you know, or this area is going to be something with some data. That's like, you know, height position, whatever, you know, that type of thing. Well, that always kills me when people talk in absolutes anyway. I mean, in all honesty, most times we're all trying to get done as much as we can with the resources we have. Very few times do you walk in and you've got, you know, a full arsenal at your disposal and it's firing on all cylinders. I mean, most times we're all aiming probably above our, our, our fighting weight, trying to get as much done as we can and make as many improvements as we can. So whenever these people say never do this without that, you know, that to me is like a select tiny percent of the people that have that luxury. The rest of us, we're just doing our best. We're trying to, you know, make our way, make, you know, make some good products that we're proud of. You know, how many times have you opened up something? And even if you're the proudest in the world, everyone's looking at it and all you can do is look at that tiny thing in the corner that you're like, Oh man, I wish I had, I wish I had more time with that. That's just not what I wanted to do at all. Please don't judge me on that. I mean, that's just life. You know, that's yeah. just the way the world is. Yeah. And I think the whole absolutes thing, everybody tries to put like this industry in a box and that's, that drives me nuts yeah. too. Like what works for you may not work for me. And, and, but that's yeah. the reason why your clients choose you and my clients <laughs> choose me. Right. Yeah. Like that's if everybody was the exact same, like it wouldn't work out that way. I was actually having a conversation earlier today over Skype with a, a fellow listener of the show. Uh, his name's Zach Grantham. He uh, works for or he has his own shop uh, called Eden Creative up in Michigan. And um, 
we were talking about sort of professionalism in the industry and how like, you know, uh, uh, when you have somebody that comes to you with like, say they got like a $3,000 website or whatever that they want you to do and, and that type of thing. And you're like, well, sometimes, you know, you can't turn that down. You have to take on that work. And for me, or, or, or it's like, well, but they can go to like uh, Squarespace and get like this type of thing. And we were talking about that and I, and I was just like, you know, for me personally, when somebody mentions Squarespace and like, well, I can get this from Squarespace, I encourage them to go to Squarespace because, you know, it's not the right fit. Like yeah. if all you're looking for is a website from me, then, then that's fine. Go to Squarespace because I think there are people that, uh, we were t- again, uh, before, you know, we sort of went on air here, which I'll, t- I'll talk about to all you listeners, the community that I'm going to announce later on. But, um, we, we talked about sort of, you know, the difference between like a consultant and like a, a you know, so, sort of like a freelancer, where it's like, you know, freelancers are sort of like hourly rate and they're completely replaceable. And there's a ton of talented people that can execute this particular thing. But then there's that sort of like consulting world where it's like you become actually a bit of a strategic partner with the company where you're deeply ingrained in their business and you're helping them solve their business problems as opposed to, hey, you need a new website, right? But what's your true problem here? Your true problem is you, you want to generate X amount of leads per month. Well, this tool that I'm going to help you create is going to give you the opportunity to, to generate those leads per month, right? And so that's sort of like that whole difference between just doing like services and sort of like a gun for hire versus like, you know, sort of the whole strategic consultant side. But the thing is, is that people sometimes need that, right? And, and that's the whole put it in a box thing that I was well, discussing. You know so I got to bring it back around. Nine times out of 10, they always need that. You know, one of the things, and I learned this when I started um, that internet company a long time ago. Uh, one of the things we tried to do is, um, you know, we tried to, we had a pretty solid creative team. So we would use the creative team to kind of create revenue to keep us afloat while we were trying to get our business model together and all that stuff. And the one thing I learned then is nine times out of 10, what happens is people come to you looking for a website. They're probably upset with their business, not upset that they don't have a website. Because once you start asking them questions about their business, now all of a sudden you find out that there's three or four people in the company and you get three or four different answers from everybody. So now all of a sudden it's like, well, okay, I'll make you a website. What's you know, what's your business model or what's your mission statement? What's the main thing? And now all of a sudden you start playing almost like psychologists or psychiatrists to these folks. Well, I wanted to do that. And this one wouldn't do this. So half the time you spend your time talking about how to create a better business and how to kind of reach their customer and the website, the actual physical design part of it, that's just the result of your work. And that's the, almost the lowest common denominator of the conversations. The actual conversations of how do we reach people? How do we make money? Where do we, you know, where, who do I send an email newsletter to? Those are the questions that when you're asking, just so you could figure out what goes on the homepage, that's when you start. It's almost like when you have a house and you open up the wall and you don't know what's going to be behind the wall until you open it. Well, it's like when you do a website, you're opening the walls in the house and you're finding there's a lot of stuff back there and you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to do a lot of like underneath work before you even look at painting the wall or doing the aesthetic stuff. And that's what they're paying you for really. I mean, yeah. you know, they're paying you for your expertise and they're also paying you to create their vision because your vision, you're a web guy. I'm a web guy. We're designers. I don't sell widgets, but if I'm going to create a site to sell widgets, I have to take your vision mix it with my expertise and, and, and some of the things I've done in the past and some of my experiences to bring out the best. But ultimately I'm just, I'm the tool that enhances you, which is the product. And that's, right. you know, those are the relationships. I don't think a lot of people get, they think you and I just sit down and, you know, we just gurgle out of the air and come up with some nice, clean, nice, fancy little thing. And it couldn't be further from the truth. There's so much marketing and business philosophy and, and messaging and communication that we have to kind of sift through to get to that final step. Right. Right. Well said, man. I, I think your metaphor is, is, is spot on too. It's sort of like, you know, we're, we're giving you the keys to a nice car. It depends on you, how you drive it. Yeah. And even then, I mean, that gets into a whole other thing. I, you know, I've made, I've made some websites that, you know, I got paid really well for, for some famous companies and they go up, they look great. Everybody loves it. And then 
they don't fill it with any content or they don't change the content. And then yeah. what happens? They come back to you and say, what happened? And I'd say, what do you mean? What happened? Well, you know, we're not getting the traffic I thought. And it's like, look, the website is like signing up to get in the race. I'm not here to bring you business. You're using the site to drive the traffic. Like this is just getting in the game. You know, this isn't the end of the race. This is the beginning of the race. I just gave you the the tag with the numbers on it to put on your shirt. Now you got to go run it. You have to create content. You have to make things that are compelling for your users. I mean, that's something I can't do. That's not my business. That's your business. And I've given you all these tools, whether they're, you know, whether it's a WordPress site or social media things. I've given you every ability, but if you don't actually make any posts and if you don't actually, you know, ever actually, you know, engage with your users, that's on you. I mean, you have it. That's not my fault. You don't blame the phone company because you bought an office and you put a phone in and no one called anybody to, to make any sales calls. You don't blame the phone company. So don't blame the website. It just doesn't make any sense. Right, right. So staying in kind of this web world, uh, do you spend, where do you stand on the whole, the argument of UI and designing in Photoshop versus should designers design in code? I think, I mean, I'll probably take a lot of flack for this. I don't think you can design in code uh, for the same reason why I don't code anymore. You know, when I coded, uh, which was not very good, by the way, when I first got to ESPN, it was just, it was a company rule. Everyone had to code their, their work in HTML and CSS and I could do it, but where I would struggle was, you know, debugging my, you know, I internet Explorer six, things like that. And that's where oh, that's I struggled. <laughs> yeah. And I said, you know, this is a waste of time. I mean, I had friends that were so good. They could take the most advanced, like 5,000 pixel high, Photoshop files, like my friend, this guy, Cody Swan, who's an excellent developer. Um, he could get that whole page in, in an hour. And I'm like, this is taking me days. It took him an hour. What is the point of making me do this when I, my job is not to learn the best practices for coding. There's just too much to do. And what was happening was I was dumbing down my design to match my lousy coding skills. So if you're just going into code, it's the same thing as me, an illustrator, only designing an illustrator and not drawing first. You have to step back and plan it out. Now, I'm not saying you can't do it that way, because like I said, there's no there's no black and white, you know, one way to do anything. There are probably great people who do it both ways. But for me, I have yet to find people that code in their websites in code that aren't just repurposing modules or things they've seen somewhere else. I yeah. want somebody who's challenging things to make sure they're answering the business problems. In fantasy, the perfect example is for the longest time, we were all the fantasy groups were all just copying one another. So for the longest time, every fantasy company had the exact same website. Only when mobile came out where people had to sit down and say, okay, what is the core stuff I'm doing here? Cause the screen now is tiny. How do I break this down to the simple basic philosophies and what's my business goals? Well, the business goals of Yahoo are much different than ESPN and CBS and all those things. So now all of a sudden you're not going to be able to copy those people because we have different revenue streams. You know, CBS is a subscription model, so they are not going to have the same ad requirements that ESPN has. And ESPN might have different ad requirements than CBS has. And then there's other things is, you know, is CBS has their fantasy game inside of all in one thing, whereas ESPN's is different. And then Yahoo's might have theirs integrated in another way. So all of a sudden you had to actually question things and say, well, what's the best vehicle to get people to solve the, you know, the question of adding someone to my roster or, you know, figuring out how to buy the new fantasy draft kit or upselling something or a Coke Zero sponsorship or something like that. When all of that stuff comes up, you have to have real solid solutions for those things. Then all of a sudden you can't cut and paste that from somewhere else because it doesn't exist somewhere else. So how are you doing that if you're just in code? I don't know. Maybe they do it great. I just, I can't work that way. It doesn't make sense to me. And I haven't, I just haven't seen people do it great. You know, instead now all these websites all look like WordPress templates because it's one large image at the top, you know, three modules across four modules under that. And it's all just grids and nobody's really, nobody's really, you know, fighting convention to see if they're really solving the problem. They're just kind of sleepwalking through it. 
Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think, you know, when you have, uh, you know, like CBS and ESPN and Yahoo and all these people that are doing the exact same thing with fantasy sports, the, the people in the end that are going to win out are going to be the people that present the easiest to use and most aesthetically pleasing experience. That's my opinion. Well, it's true. But the problem is, is when everyone's doing something the same way, it's very hard to come up with a new way. Number one, the old way still works. So it's like, why would I go out on a limb? And number two, um, maybe people aren't comfortable with change at all, which is usually the case. I think the thing with mobile is, is it forced people to have to make decisions because of the real estate. So now they had to get uncomfortable anyway. So now you're starting to see all these products sort of, you know, they're all still somewhat similar, but they're not complete carbon copies of one another. And I think you're going to see that more and more. I mean, I don't even remember how much of what I'm referring to is even public yet with all the, you know, between CBS and ESPN that I've worked with both, but you're seeing that they're all starting to kind of go their own paths just based on what they're trying to accomplish individually. Right. Well, let's talk about, uh, so fantasy sports right now is probably the biggest it's ever been. I mean, it's a multi-million dollar industry. Uh, It's almost become a sport within itself outside of the actual sport. But with all the things that ESPN, CBS and Yahoo are doing with fantasy sports and uh, you know, I know you're a digital guy just like myself and all the things that sort of are happening out in the Silicon Valley startup scene. Do you think that there's a, a great opportunity right now at this time for digital products in sports? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, we haven't even touched the surface. I mean, if you consider because you talk about digital, let's let's really look at digital, which is televisions and wearable technology. And, you know, we had a thing at one of our hackathons last year that, you know, I don't I don't want to get in too much detail because I don't know how much, you know, is released or not. But wearable technology at games and it was monitoring, you know, your excitement level at the game and things like that. And everyone in the stadium now, all of a sudden, it's looking at the time of the game and it's monitoring the people in the stadium. And, you know, when they were excited, when they weren't, we're only now learning all the data points we can collect. And then, you know, I was talking to someone at work today where we were talking about uh, smart technology and it's like, until we even figure out all the data collection, how can we even figure out the creative ways to, to serve up new solutions to that data? So now all of a sudden, maybe this data that this digital stuff we're working with now, it's maybe it's making my watching my, my watching experience better through my television, through my watch, through my phone. Like we haven't even entered that stage of it yet. I mean, when you consider cable, for example, has slowed down, you know, how much we can actually do. I mean, why do we have a cable box at this day and age of all things. I mean, you know, you have a cable box, which is the size of an old VCR. Meanwhile, you know, you have a, you have a watch that can, you know, do everything under the sun, but when they catch up and allow us to tap into, um, you know, faster speeds and more bandwidth. And, you know, I think we've just begun. I think there's so much more you could do out there. Uh, I think there's, and it's a great thing because like you said, it's a sport inside of a sport because, the games aren't always exciting, but there's such passion there that, you know, we all want to make the games interesting because we want to watch them anyway. I mean, football of all things. I mean, it's a great sport. It's one of the only sports where you don't have to have a rooting interest and still you can be engaged. And now all of a sudden I have a fantasy pick on the line. And now now you get into daily fantasy. I don't even know what that's going to do in the industry. I mean, could that enhance it? Could it dilute it? I'm not sure, but yeah, I think we've just started. And then who knows too, with gambling, I mean, eventually uh, you got to assume gambling is going to be more of a factor. You know, it is in Europe. Then you wonder what does that do to fantasy sports? You know, and and that, that can't be that far along because you're seeing states go that way so you know yeah we've just started you know we've just begun yeah and i think i I keep pushing for people on the show like with a lot of a lot of people that tend to listen to the show and that i interact with on twitter around the show are maybe doing a lot of print related stuff or doing stuff specifically for schools or uh for you know professional sports teams and that type of thing and and i keep pushing that you know we we as designers we have this um, skill set that people need right now. And, and we should start kind of coming up with our own ideas and pushing this, these things. And there's a low barrier to entry in the digital world with that, you know, pretty much you need a MacBook, you know, or or your, your, your computer of choice, yeah, uh, an internet connection and, you know, Photoshop or whatever. And, and you could make stuff. And, and that's, that's, what's awesome about it. There's free software that, that, 
basically makes Photoshop happen for you online. I mean, God, can you imagine how easy it would be to start today compared to, you know, a hundred years ago when you had seven discs just to load your computer? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, when I was cow. in college, I still had, uh, I still had the zip discs when I was in college. Yeah, me too. And then right before <laughs> that was, um, I forget the name. There were the big things. It looked like a big, big, it was uh, quest or so I forget. And you would punch this thing in. It was like an old data tape. Oh my gosh. Those were crazy. <laughs> the zip disks were that were like this big thing because they were tiny and they were disposable. That was like the big thing. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens with, with technology. I, on episode seven, I talked to Hans Anderson over, uh, in, at ESPN in the, uh, aug- or the emerging technologies group. I know that it's a huge company, so you, you guys may not even know each other, but, um, he was, we were talking about augmented reality and some of the interesting things that are going to happen there in, in the world of sports. And I think sports really presents this great opportunity because it's at the end of the day, it's entertainment. You yeah, know? it is. It is. And and, 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 and it's also, it's the only thing that we all agree on and keeps our focus anymore. Yeah. You know, like when you look at the Oscars, that's an event, but even then how jaded are all we at the Oscars, how j you know, cause movies aren't as good, but sports just keeps our attention every Sunday from, if you're in the Northeast, like me, it's one o'clock till the last game at, you know, Sunday night. And then maybe on Monday, depending on the matchup, but, <laughs> and Thursday, which I'll this year, all up. the mainstream matchups have been terrible. Blowout, terrible seems absolutely like. terrible. And <laughs> sadly my jets were, responsible for a good part of that. But, uh, <laughs> it's yeah, but it's just, it keeps your attention in a way nothing else does. And the fantasy part of it just enhances it. Cause look, there's fantasy in baseball, there's fantasy in hockey and there's fantasy in basketball, but it doesn't ring as true because you don't have the attention. There's too many games. There's too many days during the week. Whereas with football, I know I have a week to focus on the game. I, you know, and especially I have a week to make my roster. I have a week to, to talk trash. I have a week to do everything. It's literally the perfect vehicle for fantasy and it just makes it better. I mean, I'm at a point where everyone in my family at every level is in our family league. Like everyone plays is it's, it's just, it's amazing. Yeah. Well, let's, let's jump into freelance talk a little bit. Cause I know that, uh, you have a full-time job right now, but still freelance a lot. And, and I freelance full-time. Uh, I know that my connections at IMG, uh, when I started back years ago, aided me tremendously. And you sort of see how small, I guess this niche is, and you see people like who's who at so-and-so company uh, specifically, maybe not so much in the design side. Cause there's a lot of designers, but specifically in the business side, like CEO of whatever company and blah, 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 marketing people, that kind of thing. Um, th- those connections have aided me tremendously as far as continuing to be able to work in sports. Now that I'm an independent, have you found that your time at ESPN sort of gave you immediate credibility, uh, and being able to accept work from clients such as like the Pittsburgh pirates, Orlando magic and, uh, numerous professional athletes. No, I, I had all those clients before I got to ESPN. Um, oh, okay. you know, the interesting thing is you go to ESPN and we're in the middle of Connecticut. So your exposure is zilch. I mean, we don't even, you don't even, you would think, Oh, I'm at ESPN. I'll go to all these free sporting events. Well, there aren't any free sporting events around here. I <laughs> yeah. mean, we're kind of in the middle of nowhere. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why ESPN is so successful is, you know, there's not a ton to do. If you're a young person, then stay at work. And, um, you know, and that's why a lot of people leave early. And that's also why a lot of people stay. It's, it's, you know, you're focused on work and very rarely, do you get out and you get to go to at least, you know, in, in, in the field I was, I mean, you know, there's so many different parts of ESPN. There are people that are only on location, but for the most part, uh, you know, I, someone joked once they left and they ended up working, I think for like their ministry or something out in Arizona. And he said, you know, I've gone to more sporting events in a month here than I've gone <laughs> my whole time there. And I, I laugh, I'm like, it's true. You just, you know, we don't really go, go anywhere. I mean, the only thing we have up here is Yukon. And then we have, uh, you know, we have some minor league stuff, but even that, like, you just don't get exposure to that. So I had, the way I got into ESPN was, through making all this stuff for all these professional athletes. And then that's really just 
kind of beget the thing after that, after that, after that. And, you know, I had gotten some really good um, relationships with folks at some big companies, some of the agencies and some of the, you know, some of the bigger athletes I'd become pretty friendly with. They're really nice people. And thankfully I work for really nice folks and I got opportunities to, you know, spend time with a lot of them, go to their homes, things like that. And, um, that kind of created a relationship that I think, I think you probably agree with here. Sports is a funny thing. Um, if you prove you can work with the athletes, it's almost like you're on the ends. It's almost like, you know, you're in this club that, okay, you work here. Now you can work there or, Hey, I have a guy that works with me. Okay. It's like, he's been vetted. He, you know, first of all, you know, there's times I've known of trades. I've known of, you know, GMs not liking other people or this, that, or the other thing. I don't say anything, you know, it's not. And for a while, there are a couple of people like, Hey, you know, I know that you work at ESPN. I have your word. You're not going to leak anything here. And I'd laugh. I'm like, dude, I'm like in the basement of like the building. Nobody's asking me for the skinny on major league baseball free agency. (laughs) Little did they know I had it, but they weren't asking me. <laughs> I can't imagine how many people came to you and were like, Hey man, I got this idea, but I need you to sign this NDA because you'll probably take it to ESPN and they'll do it. <laughs> well, the funny thing is I always get those things for NDAs and I always roll my eyes. It's like, you know, nine times out of 10 ideas, everybody has all these ideas. Do you have the revenue? Do you have the model? Do you have the ability to make it into a reality? And the answer usually is no. I mean, it's very hard. You know, everyone says that, oh, I don't want to give away this idea. This is the next big thing. And it's like, well, guess what? If I had investors and I had all those things, you would be talking to me. I wouldn't be talking to you. (laughs) So obviously I don't have the ability to take that idea and do anything with it. I, I can't tell you the amount of ideas I've had to sign NDAs for. And I just laugh. I'm like, there's, I'll sign it, but it, 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 you know, there's nothing I could do with your idea. I don't have the connections. I don't have, you know, the ability, I don't have the, you know, the, the scale to pull off something like that, nor do I want to. Right. Right. I tweeted something, uh, maybe last week or something where I talked about how ideas, ideas, that's the easy part. I mean, everybody has ideas. Every single human being has ideas. Execution is people come to me all the time and it's like, Hey man, I have this idea for this thing. And I'm always like, yeah, that's great. Like, I can't wait to see it. Like I like to push people to do it because I don't believe that there is this, the, the internet, the world is huge and the internet is really showing us how big that is with like these niche communities and stuff. And so it's like, that's great, man, go do it. I hope that you yeah. do that because I think that there's, you know, who cares? I mean, my voice is different than your voice. So even if we're doing something similar, people listen to this show because of my personality and they like hearing, hearing me talk and kind of identify with me. And it's kind of like a whole client thing. Right. Whereas like somebody might listen to somebody else's show or whatever, because of their personality and, uh, their sort of uh, mentality. And so for me, it's like, go push, go do these ideas. But the thing is, is it's like, it never happens. Nobody, everybody has these ideas and they like, they never pursue it because a lot of times for us, it's because of actual bandwidth of time. You know, especially when you start having kids and things like that. I know you and I were talking a little bit before the show. I mean, part of my thing with starting this was when I quit, um, you know, I, I tell this a lot on here, but I freelanced full time for six years, took a job for about a year and a couple months at a, at a web design company as creative director, uh, decided that I missed being an independent, left to come back freelance again. And for that first month, I basically did my own little hackathon and put this whole thing together. I was like, I want to do this. And I know that if I don't do this now, it's not going to get done when I start yeah. taking on like the client stuff again. And, well, and I think proves, that's kind of how you have to do it. Well, it proves, it proves, you know, I've been around some of these athletes and not just athletes, people on wall street, people in some, you know, I've, I've had the ability to meet some really amazing folks to talk about ideas, strength coaches for teams, all these things. And they're driven, driven, driven people. And you know what? The one thing I learned about all of this is making money is hard. Being successful (laughs) is hard. So having an idea, that's great. But actually making it come to fruition, that's very, very, very hard. Look at the time you put into your podcast. I wanted to do a sports podcast forever, but guess what? It's hard. I don't have the time. I don't have the ability. I don't have the patience. So having the idea doesn't mean anything, you know, have an idea without hard work is worthless. And too bad, too much in this society I see now is people complaining about everyone. Oh, well, this one's got money and this one does. It's like work hard. That's it. Yeah. Work hard. Yeah. You know, we all want to paint this picture that there's this 
group of people in the world that were just lucky or, you know, they were born under a whatever star. And, you know, I have a family member of mine who's really well off and, and people are always like, Oh, he's just lucky. You know, this happened. And I said, luck happens once when it's for years and years and years and years, there's something there. You and I don't know what it is, which is why he's doing better than all of us. (laughs) There's everything is hard work, diligence, follow through, to your point, you didn't give up. You didn't quit on this thing. I, you can't give up. I I've been doing, you know, I tell my kids this all the time. I've been learning for design and logo design. I've been almost 20 years of doing this and I'm never stopping learning techniques and technology. I saw so many people in print that hit a certain plateau and they didn't want to learn technology after that. You know, my mentor, one of the greatest guys in the world, he would never have updated from, from Photoshop, the third version of Photoshop, if he didn't have to, because they don't want to learn anymore. And they think, Oh no, this is it. And it's like, no, you constantly have to learn. You can't stop. You can never stop because the minute you stop, it's over and you can't have all these things you want. It's true, right? You, the minute you yeah. stop, all of the things you envision for yourself, they stop too. Yeah, I've seen it happen too, uh, firsthand. I mean, I, I remember, uh, you know, I've been, I've worked at places years ago or worked with people that, uh, you know, they sort of, they were really good 10 years ago or yeah. whatever, right? Yeah. And then like, they never really progressed and they never stayed yeah. up with trends and what's happening now in the industry and then digital's coming and then like all these things. And all of a sudden it's like, well, you're still doing that exact same work you did 10 years yeah. ago and it still looks the exact same. And, well, and and like, nobody wants that anymore. Well, you know, we were talking earlier about using drop shadows and stuff like that. There are people still using those drop shadows from 10, 15, 20 years ago. They never learned that lesson um, because they don't want to learn it. You know, there's just, look, it, there are worker bees, there are leaders, there are people in the middle. And if you want to be successful, you have to work your hardest. That doesn't mean you're definitely going to get it, but that's at least the minimum. And then from there, you have to ask questions. You have to listen. The number one thing you have to do in life is be humble and learn that we all have so much that we can improve on all the time. And don't take offense if somebody says, hey, you know, you could maybe, you know, stop talking as much or you you're doing good, but you're you know, you could probably get to work a little earlier. You could do this or that. And you just have to listen to it because it's going to improve you. And it's probably true if, if enough people are saying it and just always look for things that you could, these small things, if you take off a little small thing here or there that you probably can improve, that's where you make the big gains. It's not one thing. It's always a number of little things, you know, that's and you gold. just, you scrape away, you scrape away, you scrape away. Next thing you know, you made a big dent. And that's the only yeah. way it works. You know, there is no lottery tickets for, for most of us. You know, it's, it's hard work. It's paying attention. It's asking questions. We have, we are so lucky right now that you and I are talking and we, we can share our secrets. You're like back in the day, I remember people would never share their professional secrets. They thought never tell anyone your things in the design community. We share everything. It's one of the nicest communities you'll ever find. So helpful, so encouraging. And that's a great, great thing. And think of how much all of us have grown just because of meeting people on dribble or uh, like you're going to talk about later, like a community based thing where we can just talk and we can just share ideas. And I'm not worried that you're going to steal a client of mine because there's plenty of clients, there's plenty of jobs. And in the end, good work will rise to the top and there's plenty for everybody. Right. Fantastic, man. That was a, that was a good bit there. I I typically ask people, uh, if they have any advice for, for maybe people getting started, but I think you just landed, nailed that already. (laughs) (laughs) So, so what are you up to nowadays career wise, man? I know you recently made some moves and, uh, we talked a little bit about it before we went on air. You, you made a a decision to transition from working at ESPN. Uh, What are you, what are you up to? Well, yeah, like you said, I left ESPN in May and, um, you know, there was a lot of changes in the org and things like that. And I just, you know, I'd been there eight and a half years and I just thought there's other things for me to accomplish. And there's also, you know, 
you can't just interchange the people you work with. You know, like I said, I work with some amazing people at ESPN and, you know, when they start having org changes and people are moving and things like that, you have to ask, is this as fun as it was? Is this as challenging as it was? And I think for me, it was, you know, it was just time to go. You're there a long time, you know, and after a while, if you're good at something, you kind of stay where you are. And so I decided, you know, to try new things. I left. I did some stuff with CBS. I did some work at Cigna and then, you know, just kind of finding where I wanted to end up. And I got very lucky. There's a company down in New Haven called Continuity. It's a startup company and uh, it's financial software. Basically, it helps small banks basically thrive. You know, we live in a world where there's so much regulations that these small banks are having a hard time kind of staying afloat. So this software is just a great thing that allows them to keep track of all the regulations, all the things they have to follow in a simple to easy way. And I'm going to be honest with you, and I've told them this, I am not a banker. I'm not a financial person. I might be, <laughs> I might be the worst mathematician ever to work at any sort of a financial institution in the history of mankind. But the passion that people have there is what sold me. The reason I like fantasy is not because I like fantasy sports, because quite honestly, I'm not even that good at them. I'm, you know, I, I know more than the average person because I'm around all these experts and stuff. But at the end of the day, what I loved about fantasy is the passion everyone had for it. I love designing something that people use all the time where I could actually overhear someone having a conversation about fantasy or something like that. Well, that's why I like this is the people down here are so passionate about it. And I feel like the stuff I know and the, and the part, place I am in my career, I could really get in there and help these people achieve this dream. It's a great opportunity for me. I'm a vice president there. So, you know, I'm in a nice leadership position. It's they just really appreciate the work. They're great folks. And I want to see if I can do my best to kind of, you know, make this thing, you know, a home run, which I'm almost positive it's going to be. I mean, because the people are so passionate, they're good at their jobs. They work hard. All the things we were talking about earlier. And that's really what I wanted. You know, people ask me what I wanted to do. And it was just basic things. I just wanted to work with people that I love working with. I felt challenged and I felt like I was, you know, cha making changes and creating something. And I think that's what most designers really want to do. They just want to solve problems and make things work and just be content and happy. And, and, and that's where I am. And I'm very, very happy with it. And um, I'm just very blessed. That's awesome, man. Congratulations on, on, uh, you know, getting that gig. It sounds like you're, you're happy and, and having a lot of fun. So where to kind of wrap this up, where can our listeners find out more about you and reach out to you, follow you on Twitter, that type of thing? Yeah. Um, well, you know, my website walkdesign.com. Um, I haven't updated that or dribble in a while just because, you know, a lot of the stuff I've been doing isn't released yet. And, you know, you can't, you can't, you can't put stuff up till it's up there. So I haven't really updated a lot of that lately. So if you have, if you've been there in a while, just to hold on new stuff's coming. And then, you know, my Twitter accounts walk design is on there and my, all my social media stuff's on the site. And, you know, I love talking to people and, you know, I, I've had so many people over the years come to me from the blue and just ask my thoughts on, like you said, how to get started in the business, things like that. And I just love helping people. I think it's the right thing to do. Um, you know, I help with charities and I'm on the board for a charity and that helps troops. And we send out gifts at the holidays, things like that. I just think it's important for everybody to kind of, you know, try to help out as much as they can. And if everybody helps out, then we'll all, you know, we'll all do better and we'll all feel better. And, you know, it's my little, my little, uh, idealistic vision of the world, I guess. Cool, man. Well, Matt, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Uh, it was good to speak in the audible form <laughs> as opposed <laughs> to Twitter, direct messages and that type of thing. Oh, I loved it too. Um, you know, we got to get a place that we could all hang out and just, you know, relax and have a beer and just kind of talk, talk shop and, and just kind of, most of us all love sports, talk sports and just, you know, make, make, make a, make a weekend of it or something. Absolutely, man. If we, if, if there's ever that opportunity, I'll definitely, uh, definitely reach out to you for that. Uh, so my next guest is going to be Bill Frederick, who is the principal and creative director of sports branding agency fan brands. Uh, also joining the show is Michael Raish. He's a senior designer and new media director of the company fan brands, builds brands that connect with fans and some of their clients include major league baseball, 
the NBA, NHL, NASCAR, and the MLS, just to name a few. You may know them for their work. Uh, over the last 20 years, they've been actually developing the brand uh, style guides and strategy for the MLB All-Star Game. Big thanks again to Matt Walker for taking time to join the show. Again, follow him on Twitter, at Walk Design. Uh, oh, one, a couple one more of now- thing. Can I make yeah, a thing? Yeah. Bill Frederick is an alumni of FIT. Just want to throw that out there. One of oh, the only nice. other designers <laughs> I've ever met that went to FIT. So I just want to That's throw awesome. that out there. Small ahead, world, man. Small world. Yeah. Uh, a couple of quick announcements. Uh, a reminder for those that are catching up on the shows, or maybe this is the first time you've listened to this show. Halftime is a podcast that is coming soon in 2015. It's a 20-minute solo broadcast that is going to be between the weeks of interviews. Uh, the interviews are every other week. Uh, this will be a 20-minute podcast playing you know on the whole 20 minute halftime speech metaphor where i will be talking about freelance and business and professionalism and that type of thing uh you probably noticed that that's a uh, continuing uh theme on this show also uh planning on doing a google hangout soon with listeners and maybe some some past guests maybe matt here will join us for that uh we'll just chat about business talk shop and all that fun stuff i think you can only actually have maybe 10 people on a hangout so uh i'll try to get people uh, uh get that out ahead of time and let me know who wants to come on board and we'll just maybe one Saturday night or whatever, just sit around and talk shop online and get to know each other. That being said, coming soon as well, I'm working on building a community for, for the podcast. Uh, the podcast is always going to be there. It's always going to be the number one thing, but in, in 2015, I'm planning to launch a community with a small monthly fee offerings uh, behind that the fee will cover uh, will include forums, uh, confidential critique areas so that we can post things and get professional feedback without having to worry about Google indexing Dribble or Behance or that type of thing. Live chat, which will be on all day, all times of the day. Uh, I'll be around there most of the time. Uh, and specifically during shows, live chat during shows, as well as live recordings of shows pending guest approval, of course. You probably heard Matt and I talk about how we we chat for a bit before we went on air. So that will be something that you may be able to have a chance to hear and be a part of before the official recording starts. The interviews will continue to be free content coming out every other week as always. However, if you want to get the extra value and you appreciate the hard work that it takes to put the show together, then joining the community will be the best place for that. There are two reasons why the community will not be free. One is to keep a barrier of entry. Uh, I will not accept any trolls in the community. We see a lot of these forums and things where people come on and troll. So free means that anyone can join and say whatever they want. However, this particular community and this podcast, we talk about professional things and speak to professionals. And even if you're wanting to learn to become a professional in this industry, uh, you know, we will be glad to have you, but there will be no, no trolling. Number two, producing the show costs money between the mics, equipment, hosting services and fees, as well as the number one cost time. Uh, the more time I can devote to the show website and the upcoming community means the more value for you. However, this means that in order to do that, I'm going to need to take on less freelance work. So uh, man, man's got to put food on the table for my babies. <laughs> Lastly, be sure to follow myself on Twitter at T. Adam Martin, as well as the show at Makers of Sport. If you haven't done so and you are listening right now and are in a safe place, meaning you're not driving, then stop, take time and go to makersofsport.com slash iTunes and rate the show. This helps get the show discovered by other people. And, uh, and it's sort of, uh, you know, I'm not going to lie. It makes me feel good when I see the ratings and reviews. So also accept ratings and reviews on Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whichever application you happen to be listening in. Uh, I'll see you around on Twitter at T Adam Martin again at walk design, follow Matt and at makers of sport until next time. Have a good week. Mm-hmm.